Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Sylvia Global Radio. You're listening to Wealth Psychology with Emily and Dr. Jamie. Wow, well, welcome to This program our has been made possible day. by Weatherby Asset Management. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest. Weatherby Asset Management is dedicated to providing exceptional wealth management services by forming partnerships built on trust, understanding, and thoughtful advice. For more than 20 years, they've been offering objective perspective, personalized planning, and sophisticated investment management to individual investors and families, as well as pension plans, foundations, and endowments. Contact them at www.weatherby.com. Weatherby Asset Management, located in San Francisco and New York City. Well, welcome to Wealth Psychology on Sylvia Global Radio. And we have a special treat this morning. Uh, not only is this Emily Bouchard, and I am in California, we have Jamie Trigger Muni from Israel. And Gail Sylvia has joined us for the beginning of the show, and we're so happy to have you joining us. And can you just speak a little bit about what you're up to at USG this Friday? Hi, ladies. How are you? Great. Great. It's so exciting. You know, the Wealth Psychology Hour is really growing um, in followers. It's, it's, it's very, very exciting what um, you're doing here. And we're really appreciative of whether the asset management support of the broadcast and getting the message out. Um, you know, yeah, this um, Friday, actually Thursday and Friday, January 24th and 25th, 2013, the Center on Philanthropy and Public Policy at the University of Southern California USC campus, they are hosting a, a leadership forum, and that forum is philanthropy, imagination, innovation, and impact. And I'm very excited about being on the panel Friday, the 25th, on the power of women in philanthropy, along with uh, Melissa Berman from the Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors, um, Deb from the Deb. I'm not sure of her last name. Uh, with uh, J.P. Morgan and Michelle Ozumba, President and Chief Executive Officer for the Women's Funding Network. Um, some of these ladies have been on Sylvia Global and Jim Ferris, Dr. Jim Ferris, the founding director on the Center of Philanthropy and Public Policy, was on Sylvia Global last week along with some other listeners. So very excited about um, you know, being able to participate in a forum such as this. Wow, that is thrilling. I can't wait to hear about it. I'm sure you're going to have lots to share next week about what happens as a result of that. And, oh, my gosh, philanthropy, I love that innovation and impact and the power of women. This is it, so important. It, it's extremely important. You know, some of the other plenary um, panels that will be happening um, at the Davidson Center are um, associated with topics of, you know, our passion and our values, what sparks our philanthropy and its possibilities, um, discussions around transmitting philanthropic values across the generation, which is your, you know, this is the area of expertise of the two of you and well psychology, just, you know, how we, 
you know, transfer not only the money but our values, you know, with wealth management and also in this area of philanthropy. Um, other topics are around collaboration and networks. Um, representatives from um, Price School of Policy at USC, um, you know, nonprofit organizations will be a part of that discussion. Um, Diane Scarce, the Evaluation and Learning Director for Lucille and David Packard Foundation will be participating on that panel. There's also um, panel discussions and, you know, and roundtable discussions around impact investing, social media and games for social change. You know, just a very thorough um, forum on a very important topic that we don't otherwise get to have access to not only the people, resources, and talent um, in this industry, but, you know, our peers, you know, access to our peers. Wow, I think we have the topic for next week's show. Um, along, <laughs> we're going to be – we actually – we have um, – uh, we're, we're waiting for our final confirmation, but we're really excited that we have as our upcoming guests Keith Whitaker and Susan Nascenzio, who are co-authors of the book that we spoke about before on the um, the gift that uh, and the impact of of the gift when it's given um, to beneficiaries and this whole notion of how to transfer your values with your valuables is so key and we'll make sure that if they get to join us next week that we totally talk about this as well. Very exciting. Yeah, it, you know what, it's really wonderful, um, Emily and Jamie, about the wealth psychology, your broadcast here on Sylvia Global, is that this is a way to continue these discussions and to have access to information. You know, the forum that will take place at USC was by invitation only, yet the the discussion doesn't have to stop there. You know, the engagement um, doesn't stop or have to be limited to just the attendees at that moment in time. You know, the whole purpose for the Wealth Psychology broadcast is to be a place for ongoing um, discussion and connectivity, and the two of you do it so profoundly. Even this morning's topic, you know, on inheritor's dilemma and how to respond to probing questions, you know, that could very well be the phil the philanthropist's dilemma, you know, and how to respond <laughs> to probing, you know, probing questions associated with our giving, and especially when our giving um, values and impact um, are a part of those generational transfers. Yeah, Sylvia, I think what you're pointing to is so important, and we really saw it in our first show on inheritors that we had more um, emails and fax questions come in, tw tweeted questions come in than we've ever had. We couldn't handle all of them. And I think when you talked about being amongst a peer group that's going through the same experience and wanting to find positive impact, um, that's what we really hope that this show will be an opportunity for inheritors because they often don't have that ability to feel like they're in a comfortable place where they can ask the questions, get clear on some of the issues, and then move forward powerfully to make the positive impact that they're looking to make in the world. Exactly. So that's what today's show is all about. Right. You know, and learning how to navigate, you know, some of the um, – gracefully, you know, navigate 
um, these areas uh, that are so sensitive um, are important. And again, the Wealth Psychology broadcast is a place to um, to be to use our imaginations to be innovative and to still have impact. You know, whether it's um, with inheritance, philanthropy, or general, you know, all of these other topics that you have generally covered on the Wealth Psychology program. So that's this um, Thursday and Friday, January 24th and 25th at USC in Southern California. Look forward to meeting our, you know, listeners to the Wealth Psychology and followers of Sylvia Global there. And don't forget you join us again maybe in uh, a week or two to do another interview about the outcome of what it was like to be part of the panel and the discussions that got generated so we can really bring it back to the, to our listeners. Oh, absolutely. And we can do even better than that. We'll get, you know, let's extend an invitation to Dr. Jim's, Jim Ferris and other participants in the forum to be guests and uh, on the Wealth Psychology broadcast. Let's have them um you know, share their wisdom and expertise with the audience that comes to you looking for wisdom and expertise. Oh, that, that would, would be, be fabulous. Yes. So this morning's show, lady, I'm, ladies, I'm going to be here standing by, um, listening. <laughs> Don't want to monopolize your time. You're such incredible, so wonderfully talented host, and we're so honored that you're a part of Sylvia Global. I'm going to turn it over to you, and thank you again for being here this morning and for having me. Well, we're we're thank delighted. You. It's such a treat. And we want to make sure that our listeners know that you can engage in this show at any time, and we have lots of different ways for you to contact us. You can call us directly at 347-215-6138. You can email us at listeners at sylviaglobal.com, and you can also go to our Facebook page, which would be Facebook, and then you just do the forward slash Sylvia Global, or you could uh, just search Sylvia Global on uh, Facebook, and you can also go to the Wealth uh, Legacy Group's uh, fan page, too, if you want to connect with us directly. And Jamie, we're so glad you are are well and here and able to join us. How are you? I am doing very well, thank you. I had my second chemo treatment yesterday and now I'm sporting a very stylish, um, um, probably quarter-inch hairdo. So um, (laughs) I'm having, again, to move on the fly with new things um, and learning that... um, you know, it's interesting. It'll be an interesting conversation next week, um, or, you know, if it's not next week when we do it with Keith and Susan, because all, you know, there's so many things that impact us in our life, things that we didn't expect to happen, and inheritance is one of those. But how we move, um, I think one of the most powerful things that's really helping me right now is somebody said to me that, you know, we don't get to pick the wind but how we move our sails and how we maneuver within whatever wind we have, be it a gale force or, you know, just being in irons, that those are our choices. So, you know, this conversation and all of our conversations are really about given where we all are in our lives, how do we make the movements that best steer us towards the direction we're going? And in particular, in particular, we find with 
our inheritor clients that there's not very open forum for them to discuss that issue because mostly people want to make judgments or already talk about how lucky they are that they shouldn't have any problems or jealousy and envy comes up. So there's not really a forum to really learn how to sail, if we can use that analogy, um, in the most um, agile way. So we're really hoping to use today's show to hear from our listeners. Um, we're going to be talking about, we have a lot of questions already on our plate that uh, from last time and that we hear over and over again. So we're hoping to bring that. Thank you, Em. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dive into the heart of this. So uh, one of the things that uh, inheritors that we work with, that our listeners that have uh, deal with being beneficiaries of uh, money in their lives that they didn't necessarily uh, participate in earning or growing is uh, the presumptions that people may have about them, perceived or spoken or unspoken, and also uh, how do you handle when somebody is just uh, inquisitive and uh, coming forward wanting to just know things about you? And this uh, topic specifically got generated um, out of some conversations that I got to witness when I was at Rancho La Puerta a couple of weeks ago. So anybody who's not familiar with Rancho La Puerta, it's been rated the number one retreat center in the world year after year after year. They got the award again this year. And uh, it's an extraordinary place to go to because, uh, you know, the services bar none that's the best I've ever experienced. And there's no pretension there. It's just south of San Diego in Mexico. It's uh a very peaceful place to be, lots of wonderful activities. People come from all over the world, and it's, um, it's a very low-key environment. It's not People don't dress for dinner. Um, you know, it's, it's very comfortable, very easygoing, um, and you can be pretty anonymous there if you want to be. You can be showy if you want to be, too. It's, it's, it, whatever you want, you can do. Um, and what happens is at the meals, you can choose to sit by yourself or maybe with your family or your friends, or you can choose to join a group of people at larger tables that you meet throughout the week, or they might invite you if you're just there by yourself. And what do people do? They inquire, where are you from, where do you live? They, it's kind of this fun geography game that you play in terms of how you uh, go about um, to find out what a small world it is. Oh, you live in New York? East side, west side. Which building? Oh, oh, I know somebody in your building. And just how fun that is. And then at the same time, addresses can speak about you. Oh, you're in that building. Uh, And so, you know, I I watched this happen where uh, somebody who I knew was an inheritor because she had shared that with me in personal confidence was having this lovely interaction and somebody she spoke to was a realtor in um, the city where she worked and where she lived. And when the the realtor found out where she lived, um, she knew the building, knew how much a um, uh, residence in that building had just sold for, and immediately uh, this woman felt and, you know, it was immediately, oh, how many bedrooms and which floor and, 
and she was she just felt herself being placed into a category, and she felt how people at the table started to uh, think about her and look at her differently, and I watched it. Like, she went from being um, a, a woman at a, a spa having a great time working out with somebody to all of a sudden, um, wow, you're here for two weeks? You must have a lot of disposable income. Oh, you're in that building? You must have... And I just... I watched her physically shrink and, and as these questions started happening. And we had some great conversations afterwards about what that was like for her and how she wants to show up in a way where she can feel really great about who she is and what she has and at the same time um, feeling very negatively impacted by the, the way that people were perceiving her that she didn't have any say over. And I know, Jamie... Um, you have a lot to say on this subject. Yeah, I mean, I, I this this dilemma is something that comes up for me with almost every client that I work with, and it's you know how do you be honest and authentic in the world and also be able to manage your own boundaries of how much you want to share and how much you don't want to share. Um, and I'm just struck again, you know, um, I. I happened until recently thought of connection between being an inheritor, which which I also am, and uh, being now um, someone who's dealing with cancer, but it, it also has that same feeling of with my hair when I walk out somewhere, it makes a statement about me. And, you know, I'm 45 years old, so it's not hard to understand that there's most likely I'm, you know, suffering from cancer, and it's not just a hairstyle change, considering it was so drastic. Um, in a way, I think that that's very much the same with inheritors. They don't have a sign on their back that says they're inheritors, but there are these certain questions that start to bring that forward. And when you lose that sense of choice of what you reveal about yourself or how you want people to know you, you know, that the natural experience of that is to feel... Um, you know that, Jamie. Safe. Jamie, it's um, really hard to hear you. Um, uh, see oh. if you can speak in a little bit more clearly. Um, okay. Uh, that. I don't want to have. Uh, um, we'll see if we can get you on here. What? Uh, just to recap, what Jamie said. Um, we've, I've just been lo- enjoying listening to her. She was talking about um, this dilemma that can happen when we um, we. Uh, need to know, like, how honest and authentic we can be um, while also managing our boundaries regarding how much we want to share openly, how not. Um, oh, keep going, Jamie. We, we're, we're, okay. we're able See to hear you. See if you can you, hear so. me better now. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm really learning, and it's amazing to be, you know, we learn things in our bodies at different levels, in our brain, in our body. But I'm really learning, and this is what I talk about with my clients all the time, that I think where the line starts is that each person has to find the place that they're comfortable in their own skin, even if it's not what they want to say. Once those questions start, they need to start to develop the answers that work for them. I worked with a couple for a while, and we used to have a sort of a running joke that they could even tell people that they robbed a bank if they told them with complete conviction and they felt comfortable, people would stop asking questions 
And we, you know, we used to joke, just go out and do an experiment, say different things. And they started to take it on as a game. And when they found that they were able to find the place that they were comfortable, then the questions stopped. Because sometimes what happens is people pick up on your discomfort of answering the question or like you're holding something back. They don't really know what it is. They don't know that they're that they're pointing at a sensitive spot, but they see that there's something there. They sense it. So they keep asking. But when you give a very firm answer, whatever your answer is, whatever you choose, I'm able to come, you know, and live in this building because um, of an inheritance I got or because of work that I did in the past. Whatever somebody chooses to say, if you say it with comfort, I noticed it today as I took off my wig and I walked out, When I walked in the street with confidence, people didn't look at me. When I walked in the street uncomfortable, people stared at me. So I think part of the place that I usually start, and I'd be curious some way for you too, how you work with clients is around helping people get comfortable about who they are and what their situation is. Yes. Such a great analogy. Um, I'm just so struck by what you said, and I want to just give down a moment before we go into that, my response to that, because um, you know, there's the physical, uh, visceral experience of seeing somebody who's, um, you know, gone from having a full head of hair to being bald, and that elicits an immediate re- response internally because there's such a visual. And I think one of the things that we're speaking about here is this hidden aspect of the self that's so defined by, um, you know, whether it's our name or our uh, the money in our bank account or where we live, like pieces of us that aren't necessarily automatically seen as a result of us, um, who we are physically, that as they come forward, as they emerge, um, people immediately, the mind just automatically wants to put somebody in a box, wants to... Um, oh, now I know who you are. Oh, that changes who you are. And that's the most, uh, I think, uh, one of the most painful and challenging things that inheritors can feel uh, in terms of, yeah, you think about me and see me one way now, and as soon as you know this about me, I know you're going to change what you think and feel about me. And, you know, we both have seen this in terms of um, the avoidance of uh, bringing somebody to your home like either your childhood home or uh, the home that you choose to live in and enjoying that and having that capacity to live in a really lovely way and yet, oh, the moment somebody sees this, they're automatically going to know something about me. And I wondered if you could speak into that, Jamie, because you've had direct experience of that personally. I will, absolutely. I would also like to um, to say that... Um, one of the most painful questions, I think, and it, it's a common question, but it can, you don't even think it would be painful, is that when you're at a party, almost the second thing we say to somebody after we say, or maybe the third, what's your name, where are you from, what do you do? Boom. It's right there, you know, for for inheritors who choose not to work. That is the worst. That's like the kiss of death question. Um, and I want to talk into my story, but I'm also getting a note that we have a ton of questions. So I want to make sure that we make space for our questions, Emily. Um, and I'm wondering if you have the questions coming up on your side. 
No, I think you're the lucky one today. <laughs> so bring them on. Let's I I just month. have I just have a little note saying that there's questions, but I don't have the questions. So, Tina, oh, if you wow. can send us okay. the question, we would love to be putting people's questions on. Um, and in the meantime, I can tell um, quickly about my story that I had to experience um, with you know my first love of my life at college. Um, we'd been dating for a while, and uh, I decided to bring him home for the weekend. And we drove up my driveway, and he said, wait a second, stop, stop. I said, what's wrong? He said, wait a second, you know, like he was very disoriented. We've been dating for a couple months. Um, and he was, said, this isn't, like he couldn't take in my house just from the driveway. And it was one of those perfect moments where you actually come up with a statement that you want to say right then and there. And I looked at him and I said, Kevin, I am the same person I was 15 minutes ago. You just learned more information about me, but I haven't changed. And he was able to switch it in a minute and see. His seeing the house I lived in didn't make me a different person. But it had, the moment he drove in, it, all of his voices about who he was in comparison and who I was shifted. So we had to do a lot of talking about it, but, you know, it was just that sense of the outside of my house all of a sudden gave him a very different perspective of me. That's so well said. And uh, it just speaks right into that clarity of who you were in that moment made it so that, he could relax and know that, oh, while there's new information and data coming in, uh, who I have right here with me is the person that I, I knew already. So, yeah, that's really great. And it became uh, a terrific compliment to me that, um, again, it wasn't like a bald head. It wasn't something that I wore on my sleeve. He had no idea about this aspect of me. Often... Um, clients tell us so much that if their friends knew they were an inheritor, then they would believe, you know, that they weren't good people or that they had it too easy, that they didn't have all these things. He didn't believe any of those because he didn't know that piece of information of me. So it was so nice to see, if, you know, that wasn't even part of how he considered me before. And then we got to work it through afterwards. But, you know, that that sense of not wanting to bring people to your home, particularly for our clients who are in high school, who are in college for sure. Graduate school seems to be particularly challenging and when they're young and first married because those are the periods when, um, you know, after in the 30s, depending where you're living, it starts to get a little less clear. People have started to make their own money. So if you live in a big house, it's a little unclear. Um, but um, those those earlier ages are really challenging. Well, great. Well, um, they we're, we're still sorting out where the questions are, and I wanted to respond to your question earlier because I think one of the things that we have to offer our listeners more than anything is uh, some tools that can really make a difference for them in these situations. So again, if you're listening and you want to join in, you can call 347-215-6138. 
And you can also email us at listeners at sylviaglobal.com or go to the Facebook page, Sylvia Global or uh, Wealth Legacy Group, and you can post your questions there. Uh, one of the things that uh, I have been working uh, pretty successfully with, with inheritors, with couples that are dealing with well, how to field these questions is to use humor. And I loved how you talked, uh, Jamie, about trying on different ways of relating and responding. And what I do is we do um, some playful ways of responding from the different money types. So uh, in the course of the session, uh, we'll play with, okay, so you're asked, you know, um, or, or you hear some sort of comment about, oh, wow, you must have a lot of disposable income or, you know, you're a trust fund baby or, um, wow, you live there, you know, whatever it might be, and then have the person try on what's it like to respond to that from the place of the innocent and uh, kind of being shy and, and demure and, you know, oh, I don't know, like just playing with innocent versus the fool, like, oh, yeah, you know, won the lottery and the, you know, did you, did you throw it to your sweepstakes entry? Because, boy, it paid off for me. Like how a fool would be somebody who would come into money versus uh, um, going into maybe the tyrant and say, yeah, you know, I, I had to swindle quite a few people and, you know, I had to lay off a number, but I got this place, like, just trying on the different personalities, the different types, the creator artist, you know, uh, you know, I, it was an amazing thing, you know, came up with this idea, uh, you put in the post-its, well, like, on the, the par with that, just playing. Amazing wherewithal in the world because of the, uh, the finances that you have, and where it came from isn't really that important. And it's more about who are you and what are you doing in the world with it. And that's what I loved about how we started this show in terms of uh, Gail Sylvia and her passion around, you know, supporting people and especially women in terms of connecting their values to their their dollars and their, their networks and their capacity to really bring their wealth forward and moving the world the way they want it to go. And, uh, you know, Jamie, you and I have spoken quite a bit about uh, hyper-agency. I was wondering if maybe you could speak a little bit about that as well. Absolutely. And I think you're playing into the idea. Hyper-agency is a fancy way to say, how can we leverage any gift that we have in a way that makes the biggest impact? And um, wealth holders are able to use not only their wealth, oftentimes their influence, who they know, to make big changes. So, for example, um, um, I'll use Leslie Wexner, who's a tremendous philanthropist, as an example. And he, years ago, in sort of the infancy of his philanthropy, and for people who don't know him, he um, found the clothing store The Limited and Henry Bendel and um, many other stores at one point was, you know, I think the fourth wealthiest man in the country. Um, and he started a small party for, it was actually for United Way, that donors had to give a certain amount. Um, say the party was, you know, for people who gave a gift of um, $500,000 a year. And this was a big increase in a small community. He's from the, uh, from the Midwest. 
Um, and he would have just a fabulous blowout party. And at first people thought, well, why are you spending so much money on this party? But what they saw was that people really wanted to go to this party and be part of it. So all of a sudden, the gifts really started to increase. So instead of taking maybe his money and making it a direct gift, he was a hyper agent and that he provided a platform for even further increased giving and outreach for his organization which is a really adventurous way. And I know that, you know, other people, particularly with the with the giving pledge, are using those ideas of how can we leverage knowledge? How can we team up with people, other organizations, so that we're not recreating the wheel? Um, and I want to go back to something you said, Emily, about the playfulness and the humor, because I think that that is so important. And another game that we, you know, I call it a game, but really an exercise we do with clients is the, well, what then? So, so often we have these fears that if I, you know, if you and I were playing the game that you said, Emily, and I practice um, telling you that I won the lottery and it really came in big for me, I might have all these fears that you're going to answer or think something about me. So we, I play the game often with clients, okay, so what? What's going to happen next? And it's your worst fear. And they might say, well, the person can't believe that I said that and thinks I'm awful. Okay. And then what next? And you keep going until it gets almost to a ridiculous place. I mean, I've done it before around public speaking. You keep going to something like, you know, I pass out in the middle of the auditorium. Um, And people really get to see that some of those fears, it's like, the bathrobe on the couch or on your chair at night. It looks like a monster as long as it's dark out. But as soon as you turn on the light, that horrible fear of what would happen if you just said, I, you know, I'm here for two weeks because I chose to spend my money that way and to be in enjoyment with it. Thanks for asking. And cut it off then and realize, you know, the world probably won't end. But it is, it's, it's a matter of practicing and playing, definitely. Yeah, and, you know, that's such a good example of one of my favorite phrases that I love to use uh, around fear. And I, I can't remember where I heard it from. So if somebody knows where this is from, please let me know. Um, and fear is the acronym for false evidence appearing real. And what an exercise like what you just described does is it really allows you to bring forward just how not real the fears are that keep us from really standing in, yeah, this is who I am. And, you know, how you think or how you interpret it really doesn't need to have an adverse impact on me. And uh, we give a lot of sway and power to uh, spoken and unspoken fears that really drive us in a lot of ways. And anything we can do to bring those to the surface, to really look at them in a very safe environment with somebody who we know is not going to judge us and who is going to really be able to support us in moving through them um, can be very helpful. And I think it would be great to speak a little bit about some fears that inheritors have that are real and that are major concerns. And one of the biggest ones that keeps an inheritor especially from speaking really wide open and like, let me just tell everybody and have it hang out is, am I going to be taken advantage of? 
once somebody knows that I um, have this um, access to resources that make it so I can stay at a world-class resort for two weeks or a month or however long I choose to, what is it that they may see that they might want to take advantage of? And are they going to start wanting to hang around me and be with me because of my money and what it can do for them as opposed to who I am and what it means to be my friend? I think it's a big thing to take into your body, too. I mean, I really want people to breathe in. You know, we all want to be liked for who we are, not for, you know, what we look like or what we might offer somebody else. And I think you really hit the nail on the head that that is a a true fear. Um, But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's real evidence that that's going to happen. Right. It's. And, and what we are really strong proponents of when we work with folks that, you know, let's get to the heart of this, let's speak into that, um, is one, you're not alone in feeling that. And, yeah, it's a grounded fear. And what do we do about it? What can we do to make it so that when somebody finds out, uh, either through your choice of letting them know or maybe they've Googled you and people can find out all kinds of information about you now just by having your name, uh, and... One of the things that is so vitally important is that uh, you have a strong sense of who you are and that you can trust yourself and how you assess the other person and what are their motivations. So some people come from a place of suspicion and really needing the people in front of them to earn their trust and respect and they can make people go through quite a few hoops to do that. Some people uh, have their own way of doing their due diligence about the background of the person that's with them. Some people really have trusted people in their lives that they know have consistently shown up again and again for them, irregardless of whether money has been involved in the interactions. Uh, And they will look to them for their assessments about this new person that's in their life in terms of what they see and not just go by their own uh, personal Uh, assessment of that other person. What else have you seen, Jamie, that really supports people in uh, feeling empowered with uh, who shows up in front of them and making sure that they can assess that this person is somebody who's trustworthy and worthy of really being part of the inner circle and knowing even more details about them? I think you're hitting on such a crucial point that, you know, whether we have inheritance or not, we're, we're constantly doing that with new people anyway. We're assessing what are their motivations. Um, is this somebody who has shares likes likes with me? Is this somebody who I feel comfortable and confident with? And in all of these situations, it, it's a growing process. I think sometimes what happens is when these questions get asked about um, going back to the example you gave, Emily. Um, so what building is it? Oh, what floor? What you know? Those are questions that make people start to distrust because it feels like there's um, like a digging for information. It might just be curiosity. I've, also, I've often found, too, that inheritors are so can be so sensitive to those questions that even when they're seemingly asked innocently, it feels very probing. Um, so really also being able to stop conversations that you don't want to happen and, you know, to get to know somebody a little better, you know, oh, I'm so glad you know somebody in my building. 
um, it's really not the conversation I want to have here at Rancho La Puerto. Could we talk about another topic? And feeling free to really guide those conversations and get to know people better on another level. You could ask about the person's hobbies or interests, um, which, you know, by the way, hobbies and interests can often be also a little bit of a of a funky question because sometimes someone's hobbies and interests um, I work with a client who um, who fixed um, who uh, what's the word brought brought to life again old motorcycles um, and then he would race them so that also had an underlying current of having a significant amount of wealth to be able to do that you know that wasn't his he wasn't a mechanic this was something he did you know for for the love of it so those can be tricky but yeah. really getting to guide the conversation where you want to you know what walk did you go on at Rancho La Puerto that that was interesting to you and not feeling like you have to be um and this again will come out so clearly in our conversation next week with Keith and Susan you have to be the victim of a huge meteor coming at you and attacking you and that you, you know, don't have any control in terms of how to move to get out of the way. That's, I think, the thing that um, most with clients is how can you take the reins back over and control how the conversation goes. But you do have the opportunity to assess, you know, longer period of time if you like this person, if you feel like they're trustworthy, um, if you feel like you want to move forward into more intimate um, conversations. Yeah. Yeah, it's so important. Um, you know, one of the things that occurs to me from how you just said that is that may be a big leap for some people to just, you know, stop a conversation cold and redirect it. Um, I want to give a couple of other great examples of ways that you can go about taking control of a conversation if you're not happy with where it's going or you just you have an assessment that, no, this is a person that I don't actually want to know a lot of details about me. Like I've watched how they've moved with information. Uh, I'm hearing them speak about other people in ways that I'm not comfortable with. You know, you may have different pieces of data that are letting you know, no, this is not somebody I want to talk about a lot with. So some other examples that, um, you know, would be totally appropriate in those situations and not cause offense and not even call to attention your discomfort would be things like, you know, with those questions about, you know, where do you live and what building, you know, oh, yeah, you know, I live on the west side of town um, near one of my favorite parks where I love to take my dog. And there's this great community of people that bring their dogs out to the park and we just really enjoy each other. And, oh, my gosh, let me tell you this story about this one dog. And you just, you direct the conversation to what you really love and are passionate about that doesn't divulge any more details about you than you want to express. And then if they, they come back again, like, well, you know, which park? And it's like, then you could just gently say, oh, my gosh, I've so enjoyed having this conversation. I see some friends of mine over there that I really want to connect with before the next program. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day here. Rob, I'll see you again. And you just graciously uh, extricate yourself from the conversation, but where there's no um, – making anybody feel bad or feeling badly about how you're doing it, just very elegantly and gracefully moving towards what it is that you want and feeling completely at peace around that, that you're not trapped and having to stay in a conversation that you're not happy with how it's flowing or moving. I love when you 
take my big leaps and you boil them down, I think you're absolutely right. And knowing that we each have that right in our life to gracefully extricate ourselves from whatever we are. And, I, again, this is where I think that sense of clarity of feeling very confident in yourself that you are, you don't have to be subject to those kinds of conversations. You are allowed to say, you know, thank you very much. I'm going to go grab, you know, uh, um, a glass of wine or I'm, you know, whatever it is, there's, there's ways and people can rehearse having a couple of those kind of get me out of conversation things to say so that they know that when those conversations come up, they have the ability. And, and the more uh, firm boundary, thank you so much. It was nice to talk to you. Um, have a nice evening versus being feeling guilty or feeling like, um, you know, put on the spot or they didn't get to talk. Then people really get the message when you're firm, when, the, when there's a sense of um, uncertainty in yourself, that inadvertently leaves open a door for people to keep opening questions and for you to, for clients to feel sort of backed into a corner. So yeah, what I, I love really it, do. I love it. I'm sorry. No, please go on. <laughs> I, I love you. Know, the, the firm. The other word I would use is clear. So when you hear Jamie use the word firm, one of the things you can think about is um, I have a very clear boundary that you're pushing up against. And it's not going to keep yielding and giving way because that's as far as I'm going to let you in. And uh, this is I all thought. A, you're not saying that to somebody, you're right? Just it's just it's more that that's the energy you're bringing to it. And um, when I worked with um, families that were dealing with uh, children in the foster care system and adopting them, I learned a really wonderful term from a woman named Nancy Thomas who worked with children with. Um, really strong problems with attachment. And she talked about having very clear boundaries that were like a steel box, and then you had a velvet lining. And I love that analogy because our boundaries are really important to us. It, we Our comfort level is completely fine at whatever degree we want. And we can have a very firm boundary, but it's not like people have to smack up against it. We can have it be quite gentle and elegant and beautiful in terms of how people experience it and where there can be that grace. And I think the key that you said, Jamie, that makes all the difference is having it so well-versed and practiced within yourself that you feel it in your body so that when these questions show up, when these situations show up, you feel completely confident and competent in how you respond. That is what people really get. And that clarity and that firmness and that grace will do everything to make a difference. Absolutely. And a lot of the work that we do with clients is, you know, if you think that that boundary, I love that explanation of how she described her boundaries, we sort of extend out the boundaries. So you're not waiting for the question that somebody says to you, so what do you do for a living that you can come here for two weeks um, and be able to afford it? You're already shifting the conversation much further back when they're saying, you know, maybe, oh, what building, you know, what floor do you live on? So that you're not getting up to the place where you're really in a, what feels like um, a red flag situation. You're in a, 
you know, uh, yellow situation um, and really not ever having to let those conversations go to that extent where you feel backed into a corner. Yeah. Jamie, we have a question that came in. And I want to make sure our listeners know if you want to interact with us on this, you can call in at 347-215-6138. And you can also email at listeners at sylviaglobal.com. So this listener wrote a question that I know a lot of other listeners have experienced or are concerned about. And what they've written is, I received a large inheritance a few years ago. Out of his desire to be seen for me and not treated differently because of my money, I have always been secretive about my wealth and avoided financial conversations in general. Uh, now that we are getting closer, and my sense is that this is somebody who's significant in this person's life, it's a woman, I feel that I need to be more transparent, that I'm afraid that he will feel lied to and that I don't trust him. Do you have any suggestions for how to approach this conversation? So the picture is we have a woman who has this wealth um, and feels really uh, concerned about how to be able to approach this with a man that she's um, been dating and getting closer to and knows that she needs to address it. The first thing I would say is you are not alone. This is a huge dilemma that inheritors face all the time. It's when is the right time to make a revelation and do you do it in stages and how do you, again, assess? Can you trust the person and also assess how do you manage their feelings that there's been aspects of yourself that you've not necessarily withheld, but as you've gotten more intimate, you're, you're feeling ready to, um, to share with him. So, yeah. yeah, I think what, it's it's about it's about safety, and I think setting it up right from the start from a place of you know you've earned my respect, my trust, and uh, my regard for you to this degree that I'm willing to take a risk and open up to you in a way that I don't with I with hardly anybody, and I want to make sure that what I'm about to share, you really understand, is a very big vulnerable risk for me to do. And while there may be something in you that would take it personally, know that you have really achieved a level of trust in my life that you should feel really great about that has brought me to this point where I really am ready to talk to you about this. So by setting the stage up front, you really uh, bring that forward. And, And Jamie, we have a caller that was very Wait, much I want to jump in with one more yeah. with one more thing if I can really quickly. I think what was brilliant about what you just said, and I want to make sure that people understand it, you don't go into the conversation feeling like you've been lying to your boyfriend and now you have to tell him something. You go into the conversation as it's a gift of something, a new level of intimacy that you are offering to him. And then it's a completely different conversation than having to apologize for something you didn't do rather than inviting him to share in a, in a new and um, deeper aspect of your life. That's a completely different conversation. And I often liken it to rock climbing, where when I go climbing with somebody for the first couple of times, I really want to see how well they belay me. How well can I trust them to hold that rope and that I'm safe? 
And, you know, what you're doing here is you're saying, wow, we've climbed to a certain level that I'm ready to do a lead climb with you. I'm ready to do a multiple pitch with you. There's a level of intimacy there. There's a level of trust that I'm willing to put even more at stake here. And that's a huge thing. And it's completely appropriate to take your time before you do that. And, um, Jamie, we have a caller that's calling in. Natalie from San Francisco. Natalie, are you on the line? I am, I am. Hi, Emily. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Natalie. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Glad to hear your voices. Great to hear hear you. Thank you for calling in. Um, How is it for you to hear this show, and what, what is it that you'd love to share? Um, I just want to call in and just say, actually, just a, a comment and just say thank you. Um, um, I've been, you know, working with both of you individually uh, on my own and my own as an inheritor. And everything that you're saying, I, I've always identified with. And it just feels so wonderful to be able to have a forum and a place to be able to share um, all these feelings and um, and questions and observations, and I really want to just call in and comment and say thank you for being um, open and available, and I hope that, you know, you can reach more people with uh, all your wealth of knowledge and support. Oh, thank yeah. you so much, Natalie. And I am so grateful for your calling in. What we found, Natalie, it's kind of funny, and I know that you've listened to some other shows, is that, People have called in, and it seems like when we started the Inheritor Show, that's when the platform really shifted. People started calling in less and started um, sending in either um, email or fax or um, Facebook messages. And so even coming on and saying, you know, nobody necessarily knows who you are, but I'm Natalie and I've dealt with the situation is a very courageous move and really opens up permission for other people to hear it's okay to have a voice you know it's okay to be who you are and to get help with it and hopefully um you know to have that be a positive influence in your life yeah oh i appreciate everything um you know that you guys offer and um it's just been really helpful and i guess connecting and identifying and to, to feel like i'm not you know i'm not all alone in all this um, you know, having dealt with this all my life um, and just, you know, everything that you've been talking about today is, is me, you know, all these situations about dealing, how people look at me and how, how I react. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you for all your, for being out there and being a resource for, for us because I think I know that there's probably more people out there like me and they don't have to feel so alone. Thank um, you so much, Natalie. Thank you for that. That is, that is, you've just encapsulated why we're doing this. When we were asked uh, to to do this show and to take on this commitment, this is exactly the reason why. Because we know that there are so many people who have nowhere to go with this and feel very isolated and alone, and it has a really powerful impact on them, and it has a ripple effect, right? Like when you don't feel like you can really stand fully and tall and and beautiful and proud with who you are and what you have, that has an impact in the world around you. And then the opposite is true. You stand able to, you know, I fix motorcycles because I am passionate about them. What are you passionate about? 
you have a whole other quality of relationship and connection than, yeah, you know, I have kind of this hobby on the side that I don't really talk about. You know, it's just completely different. So, wow, thank you for being here, for your support. And uh, one of the things that we want to make sure our listeners know is that you all can also receive some great support in a couple of different ways. So uh, before we come to the close, I want to share uh, what we typically end with. Um, uh, Jamie, do you have them in front of you as well? Cause, uh, I, I was do. Wondering if you, you want to read the evocative question? Sure. Our, we like to leave you with really specific tools. So we start with an evocative question. And today's evocative question is, how do you see yourself responding in a more effective way in your next awkward situation? So already planning out those inevitable questions, what do you do for a living, you know, where do you live, um, what are your hobbies, and thinking about some ways that you can respond um, that will satisfy your needs. Uh, our inspiring invitation, then, is play with using curiosity and turnaround questions to connect with the person inquiring in ways that help you assess their intentions and trustworthiness. Emily, do you want to talk a little bit? We talked about curiosity. You want to talk a little yeah. bit about that turnaround question? Yeah, I wanted to um, give this as another tool. We talked about you know using humor. We talked about turning it towards your passions. And this is another great thing you can do. If you're not comfortable with a question being asked of you, have a lot of fun with uh, bringing that question back to the person who's asking it. So you have somebody say to you, oh, my gosh, what building do you live in and how many rooms, bedrooms do you have? You can just look at that person with just your heart wide open and genuine curiosity and say, wow, you are super curious about real estate. Are you in the real estate profession? Or, you know, what is it that you know about that area of town that has you so interested? You know, like, it, it is amazing how, like, uh, small some apartments can be and yet how many rooms there are. Or where, you know, it sounds like you're really interested in this. And so you can answer a question with a question that brings it back to the person who's asking it. And the one way to have a lot of control in the conversation is to be the person asking the question. Great. And our final tool, do you want to end the show, Emily? I'd love to because um, when, one of the things we do is we work individually with people with something we call the Rich Life Portfolio, and we also work with couples with it, and we do groups. And we especially love doing our groups for inheritors, doing the Rich Life Portfolio, because of how isolating it can be. And we uh, offer this in Northern California, and we're excited because we're going to be offering our Rich Life Portfolio at Rancho La Puerta. We'll be giving you more information about that as that comes forward in terms of dates. But uh, it's such an amazing venue, incredible place to uh, really feel comfortable and to be able to uh, have that anonymity if you want it and also connect with like-minded people that are dealing with the same issues. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Jamie, it's a total delight to have you here and being so well. And uh, I do hope that you'll give us a chance to see you. And uh, definitely, if you didn't get your questions answered and you want to know more, Definitely email us at listeners at sylviaglobal.com. Come to our Facebook page, Wealth Legacy Group, or Sylvia Global, and like us. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you, Natalie, and thank you to all the listeners. <laughs>